Well, I hope you're settled in. My name is Joanne, as Pastor Libin said, is so kind of him to invite me to preach this morning, not because it's my first sermon. I hope if you're uh, here, uh, you'll be glad to know that, but it's my first Palm Sunday sermon. I've never gotten to preach on a Palm Sunday, so I'm super grateful to Libin for that invitation. And uh, we're going to have some fun today, so I hope you have your Bible and you're ready to dive in with me. Um, I didn't come from a religious family. Uh, we were what I call holiday churchgoers. That means we went to church on what two days? Christmas and Easter, right? So, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just never darkened the door of a church other than that. So Palm Sunday was completely off my radar growing up. But many of you come from very rich church traditions where um, Palm Sunday was a big hit for the family and for kids. Like you came into the worship center and you were given a palm branch and you got to yell in church and say Hosanna like 700 times, right? And yell in church. And then um, if you had a church that was really cool and had a solid budget, maybe a live donkey would appear on stage. <laughs> we have Steve Frizzell, so you never know if he's... I don't know, he can dress up like something and go by and you never know. So, so, but you have a rich tradition of Palm Sunday and you, maybe you miss it because the Bible church, we worship on Palm Sunday. We mentioned Palm Sunday. We sang Hosanna a bunch of times this morning, which I loved. But um, the sermons typically are not focused on Palm Sunday. And today I really want to isolate Palm Sunday and look at its significance. More than waving palms and more than live donkeys crossing by on the stage or shouting Hosanna in the worship service, um, Palm Sunday has a deep and significant meaning in the life of Jesus and in the prophetic scripture. So there's uh, some interesting things going on about Palm Sunday. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 12 because the Palm Sunday story happens in all the four Gospels, and we're going to pick the Gospel of John, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But let me tell you some other facts about Palm Sunday. I'll put them up on the screen here for you. Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. In some traditions, it's not called Palm Sunday, it's called Passion Sunday. Because this week, Holy Week, you've heard it called Holy Week, sometimes it's Great Week, sometimes it's Passion Week, and the passion refers to Jesus' suffering. So it's talking about how he increasingly goes into suffering that, um, that is highlighted as he gives his life on the cross. So um, Palm Sunday is actually the front door to Passion Week. It's the last Sunday of Lent. Lent is a season about six weeks long. This is the last Sunday of the Lenten season. And what I didn't know before was in traditions where um, the palm fronds or the palm branches are blessed in some way, they don't throw those out. They save them or collect them back from the families and they dry out over a year's time, right? And so those palm fronds from the year before are burned and the ashes become what people use for Ash Wednesday the next year. So uh, the palms don't really go to waste, which is great. And as I mentioned, this story, Palm Sunday and the last week of Jesus' life, takes up a lot of real estate in all four of the Gospels. It's about one third of each of the Gospels talks about 
Palm Sunday and the preceding events up to the resurrection. But John is really the one I want to focus on here. And we're going to go old school for those of you who are from liturgical backgrounds. And uh, we're going to do it as a responsive reading. How about that? John chapter 12, responsive reading. So I'm going to have the scriptures up here on the screen. I'll be the leader. You be the congregation. That makes perfect sense, right? And, uh, and we'll all do the big finish together. So uh, online, I hope. I know it'll feel awkward reading out loud. So uh, I don't know how you want to navigate that, but come with us anyway. We want to we hear you. You did great the first service. Here we go. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 21. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. That's good. Some of you are on a different speed, so try to sync up your speeds, people. Online, you did great. You're leading us on there. Okay, here I go. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. All right, get it together, people. All right. That was such the best mumbling I've ever heard in my life. It's like you're speaking in the original Koine Greek. I love that, that's awesome. <laughs> that's actually kind of a tongue twister. There's a lot of short words in there, you did great. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. Oh, that was perfect. That was great. That was awesome. Okay, big finish. Everybody now. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And that's why we come to church, those words in yellow right there. We would like to see Jesus. That's what it's about. I picked John's gospel because John is the only one of the four gospel writers that mentions palms. Matthew and Mark mention the branches from the trees, and that's what they talk about. Luke mentions the coats and the garments that are laid down in front of Jesus and the donkey as they enter into Jerusalem. But John mentions palms. Why? Well, palms were stamped on coins and they ornamented buildings. Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, that glorious temple, the doors on the doors were carved and ornamented with palm carvings because they're a sign of victory. You know, palms show up in heaven. Let me show you Revelation chapter seven. After this, I looked and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb, that's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Yes, palms go to heaven. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Palms signify victory and are used 
in heaven to proclaim the victory of Jesus' salvation. So John adds a detail that gives us the name Palm Sunday, but he omits something that's very important. If you ran all the way back to what we were reading responsibly, you would see that John tells us how tons of people see Palm Sunday. The disciples, he talks about them. The Pharisees have a little voice in there. The Greeks who come and say, we wanna see Jesus. The crowds are saying things. Everybody has a perspective, but John omits the most important person's perspective. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus is silent. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know what he's really uh, has in his mind and in his heart right now. He's silent. And that's what I wanna talk about today. What is Jesus' perspective? Because to me, and I'm sure to you, Jesus' perspective is the one that matters most. What's going on in his mind? What is his motivation? What is driving Jesus? What is he hoping to accomplish? What is the thing on Jesus' heart? And that's what we're gonna drill down today. But in order to crawl inside our Savior's head, <laughs> we're gonna need the help of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? So would you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for telling us we needed someone with us who would open the eyes of our understanding to everything you've taught. So that when we read the word of God, we're not reading it alone. We are reading it in concert with the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, God, very God himself, who makes us understand what is being said to us. He brings alive the teaching and the words. He brings back to our remembrance the things we learned, and he teaches us new things. He opens the eyes of our understanding. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you into your teaching ministry right now through me and through all of my brothers and sisters online and in the room that you would be working in us so that our eyes would be open and we would be able to feast on the word of God and on the person of Jesus because he's the one that matters. We love him and we love you. We love you, God, and we're so grateful for you. We give ourselves afresh to you and we trust the Holy Spirit to teach us and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. We need the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry. So let's get inside the head of Jesus a little bit and see what's on his mind in Palm Sunday. To do this, we have to roll all the way back to the beginning. And you know the story probably really well. For those of you who don't, let me catch you up. We have first parents. You might know them as Adam and Eve, the beginning of humanity, God's first creation of human beings. God gave them an entire garden of pleasure and delight. All their needs met, tons of things to do. It was an amazing experience and one prohibition. And what did they go after? The prohibition. All the delightful things, but I got to focus on the one thing I'm not supposed to have. So instead of following God's wisdom for what was best for them, they decided to follow their own wisdom. And guess what? I'm still doing that today, aren't you? <laughs> Sometimes we do that. So that brought in their disobedience, they're going their own way, and sin enters the world, and sin destroys every precious thing that God intended. Every relationship is twisted. Our relationship with ourselves, how we see ourselves. Our relationship with other people, how we see them, how they see us. 
Our relationship with God, how he sees us, we question that. How we see him, it's twisted and warped often. How we relate to the created world, it's all twisted and destroyed because of sin. And so to mop up the mess that humanity made of what he created, God promised to send a deliverer. And this rescue operation starts in Genesis 3.15. Let's look at it. God is speaking directly in chapter three. The sin has already happened and God is now speaking to the serpent that represents Satan's purposes in all of this. Sin comes in through this fella. And so God says, I will put an enmity or I will kind of break this cozy relationship between people, humanity, the woman and her seed and your evil purposes. I'm gonna cause strife there. I'm gonna break that cozy relationship you have with them. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and here's the deliverer. He, this is Jesus, all the way back in Genesis, he will crush your head. If you picture Satan's head like a grape, this is what Jesus did on the cross. He crushed it. He flattened him. It's a mortal blow. But Satan did get a strike in and you will strike his heel. So even way back before it ever happens, God prophesied there will be a deliverer. He will hand Satan a mortal blow and Satan will strike his heel. Jesus did die, but he came back from the dead, didn't he? He didn't stay dead. So Genesis 3.15 is this beginning of a deliverer, this mission of redemption to take what sin had destroyed or stolen or marred or twisted and bring spiritual redemption into people's lives, bring them back to relationship with God, a ministry of redemption and reconciliation, and then ultimately restoration, taking everything that sin destroyed and actually bringing it back to the way God first intended. That is yet to be. But Jesus, as he is looking at Palm Sunday in the last week of his life, he's closing in on the fulfillment of this mission that starts way back in Genesis. So his focus is the mission of redemption. Isaiah, so many hundreds of years before Jesus ever goes through the gates into Jerusalem, wrote this about the kind of focus Jesus had on this mission. Messiah's focus is laser beamed. But back then there was a harder substance and this is the description, Isaiah 50 verse seven. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. We would say a laser, but back then this was the hardest stone that they had. It's impervious to wear, it's impervious to pressure, it's impervious to heat and destruction. Flint is a hard, hard rock. The Messiah says I've set my face like a flint and I know I will not be put to shame. His resolve, his focus on this Palm Sunday, on that donkey. It's not just a kid's story. He is resolved to complete his mission of redemption. Luke in chapter nine, verse 51 says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He is so resolved to complete this mission of redemption. So Jesus, from his perspective, has a mission and he's on mission. It's on his desktop it's top of mind, it's number one on his list, it's his driving focus. To redeem you and me, all of humanity, to reconcile us back to God. This is what consumes him. So that's the first thing we really need to know, that Jesus is always on his mission of redemption. 
everything is filtered through that perspective. So let's roll back to John, and we're going to look back at John 12, the first couple of verses, where Jesus is going into Jerusalem. So the next day, this is actually Sunday morning. So Jesus has already arrived on Saturday night to Bethany, which is a few miles away from Jerusalem, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. They're like Jesus's homies. They're his best friends, and he is comfortable in their home. And so they stay. He and his disciples are staying with them. And so the next day in the morning, the great crowd, this great crowd is made up of people. Great crowd, when you read that, it's not the whole city. The whole city of Jerusalem was probably 200,000 people at the Passover time. The Jews were required to come to Jerusalem three times a year. One of them was Passover, and that was by far the largest one. And so this city swelled in numbers. That's not who is probably acclaiming Jesus here. John tells us it's the people who saw Lazarus raised from the dead and those who heard the story and who were living in the environs around Bethany. Those are the people who are coming because they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They want to see what kind of action is going to happen. If you saw Lazarus raised, what is he going to do on? Like, now, this is going to be so cool, right? They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, and this is what they're claiming. Hosanna, we looked at that, and we've sung it many, many times. It means to save now. I'll get back to that in a minute. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is like a nickname for the Messiah, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the anointed one. The Greek version is the word Christ. It's God's anointed king. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus has spent a lot of his ministry telling people not to say this. And this is the time that he doesn't stop them. Bring it on, people, because this is who he is. Now, the people who were singing Hosanna, there were probably and likely people who meant this in a, a personal way, save now, like we would understand it. But Israelites of that day in the first century, under Roman occupation and oppression, this had political overtones. This is Messiah... Christ, save us now from Rome. Overthrow, rise up, overthrow the Roman government and rescue Israel and put her in our rightful place. So they're looking for a political solution. Jesus is not offering at this moment a political solution. That is not his focus. Why? What is his mission? His mission is redemption. It's a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. And so Jesus focused on the mission of redemption. He's going to come as a king, but a very different king than they're looking for. I've got a little king box up here for you to look at. So this is what Jesus was coming as. He's coming as the king. He doesn't stop people from proclaiming him as king because he is the king. They don't make him king. He is the king. In fact, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Amen? If you ever want to say amen, now's the time. Come on. Amen, a woman, a kid, a whatever you want to say, but it, this is the time for it, right? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He had full authority from the time before he was born. He's always been the son of God. But even when he was a baby, he had full authority. Now, Jesus is the king. This is how he sees himself. He's on mission of redemption. And he sees himself to accomplish that mission of redemption. He needs to be the king who has full authority to accomplish it. 
But look at the kind of king that he is. He's the prince bringing peace, not a political solution. He's the sovereign offering salvation. Again, a spiritual solution. He's the ruler ruling in righteousness, not ruling in power, in earthly power, conquering power, military power. See, this didn't jive with what many of the sentiments were wishing from the Messiah. Jesus is going for something different. He's on a mission of redemption and he is looking to bring peace to people, the peace of God and peace with God that will come when he makes his sacrifice on the cross. And the way that he is a king is illustrated by the mode of transport that he chooses. <laughs> he comes on a donkey and not just any donkey. So there are actually two donkeys in the story. If you put all the gospels together, there's a mama donkey and there's a baby donkey. So there's a young donkey that's a colt or a foal, a baby of the mother. Jesus has already prearranged that the disciples went and got the donkeys, bring them. One is an unridden on younger donkey and one is the mama donkey. And which one does Jesus ride? the untrained one that never had a rider. What this tells us is his peace is so powerful as the king, he doesn't get bucked off. He sits on that baby donkey. Maybe his legs are scraping the ground. I don't know how big that donkey is, but he, he, his peace allows that donkey who's never been ridden to navigate the crowds and walk into Jerusalem with all the crowds cheering and, and whatever is happening, all the commotion. Did you also know that kings of Israel rode donkeys? They rode white donkeys. When they wanted to go to war, they rode horses. When they wanted to bring peace, they rode donkeys. Every Jewish person in this crowd knows what this means. He's coming as a king and he's bringing and not only all of that but this was prophesied as a way that the Jewish people would know how Messiah would appear Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 let's look at that this is so long before all this ever happens I don't have all the right you know, hundreds of years, it's a long time. So here's what Zechariah said for the folks to be looking for. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. You've already seen this in John. Shout, daughter, Jerusalem. See your king comes to you. Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and what? Riding on a donkey, bringing peace. on a colt, the foal of a donkey, to be very specific and exact. <laughs> he will proclaim peace to the nations. This is what they were looking for. This is, this is the kind of king Jesus is. So here, Jesus is uh, coming. He's on a mission of redemption. And he enters Jerusalem as this king with full authority. And he accentuates his humility and the spiritual peace that he's bringing by taking a donkey, not a war horse. But did you know that maybe there could have been another procession on that same day? 
the Jewish historian Josephus mentions in his writings that since there was so many people in Jerusalem during the Passover, Rome would often double its guard and its military presence would increase in order to kind of be a show of strength and to quell any tensions or insurrections that might be in the air. And so it's perfectly conceivable that sometime on this same day, maybe from the Western Gate, Jesus comes from the Eastern Gate, maybe through the Western Gate, here comes Pilate, he's riding a war horse, he's a a horse, and he is leading a column of battle-hardened Roman soldiers all around Jerusalem through that gate as a show of military might of Roman oppression. And here's King Jesus, bringing the lasting solution, the spiritual solution, the greatest power on ever the redeeming love of God, the most powerful thing in the universe. That's what he's bringing, riding lowly on it. What a contrast. Can you imagine if you're a person in Jerusalem at this time seeing both of those processions? I was working on this part of the message and learning all this stuff and wanting to bring it to you. I got so excited and then the Holy Spirit says to me, Joanne, what if your life is like Jerusalem, and it has a bunch of gates. Some are open, Joanne. Some are shut. See, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus for many, many years. I've trusted him for my salvation. I've walked with him for a long time. For heaven's sakes, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years. So you'd think all my gates would be open, wouldn't you? I have gates that are closed. And the Holy Spirit pointed out the gates that are closed in my life, and and I thought I'd bring that same thing to you. So we're going to have a little response time. It's not the end of the service. I'll come back and talk about one more short thing. But I wonder if you, like me, because you're my brothers and sisters, those of you online in the room, maybe you have some gates closed too. You just need a moment of quiet for the Holy Spirit to show that to you and talk to God about it. To surrender that closed gate or those closed gates in your life. Maybe they're closed because you're trying to do it on your own, through your own wisdom, just like our first parents did. I know better, God. I, I can do this on my own. Or maybe you're controlling something, and Jesus wants you to release control, to open that gate to him. Because what is he going to bring when he opens and comes through that gate? Peace. You'll experience the prince bringing peace. So I wrote a little prayer of surrender for myself, and we're going to put it up on the screens. And um, our friends are going to come back and sing just a chorus of King Jesus. And would you let and welcome King Jesus into a closed gate of your life? Let the Holy Spirit show you what those are or that gate is. And maybe you want to just pray the prayer of surrender on the screen and just allow the king of peace to come into the closed gate of your life and bring his peace and his rule there. And uh, then I'll come back in a little, little few minutes.
come into the closed gates of our lives. Come through those gates, Lord. We open them to you. Welcome Prince of Peace into the closed gates of my life. Welcome Prince of Peace, King of Peace, to the closed gates of my brothers' and sisters' lives. Do your work of peace and restoration and redemption in all of our lives. Change us, Lord. Teach us what it means to abide in you, to trust you. Trusting you is always the best thing we can do. Being open and vulnerable is the best thing we can do with you. Having an honest and open relationship with a God who never shames, always loves and accepts is the best thing we can ever do. And so, Lord, take this prayer of surrender that's been prayed today and continue your sweet work in our lives, I pray. Amen. So Jesus' perspective is as a king, not a political king, but a spiritual king, the king of Israel, the Messiah, the anointed one, on a mission of redemption, bringing peace into people's lives, offering a spiritual solution with full authority. The prince bringing peace, the sovereign bringing salvation, the ruler ruling in righteousness. But that's not all. There's one more way that Jesus primarily sees himself that is a little less understood, but it is linked. It is linked. I said clinked. It is linked <laughs> to uh, Palm Sunday. And let me share it with you. So Jesus didn't only see himself as the king. He saw himself as the lamb. Let me show you this lamb so the king has full authority. The lamb is the final atonement. All the lambs that were sacrificed throughout Jewish history, Jesus offers himself as the final sacrifice. No more sacrifices needed. He's the last one. He's the one that is the penultimate of all. And so he's the final atonement. He's the chosen lamb. He's the proven lamb. He's the given lamb. He's the Passover lamb. And Palm Sunday is inextricably connected to Exodus chapter 12 that gives instructions on how to prepare the Passover lamb. First of all, the lamb had to be chosen. So in Exodus chapter 12, the people of Israel were instructed on the 10th day of the first month, you are to go to your flock or go to the store or Costco or wherever you buy lambs, I don't know. And you're supposed to pick this purest lamb you can find, this best lamb. You're to choose the lamb that you're going to have for the sacrifice. And you bring it into your house. And on the 10th day of the first month is Palm Sunday in the days when Jesus entered there. And by their shouts of acclamation of Jesus as the King and Jesus as the Messiah, the crowd was in effect choosing Jesus as their Passover lamb. So as families are choosing the lamb for their own sacrifice and the dinner, 
the crowds in Jerusalem are choosing Jesus as their Passover lamb. But not only a chosen lamb, it was to be a proven lamb. So you bring the lamb into your house and you keep it there for several days and you watch because maybe it has internal problems that you don't know about or maybe it has a defect you hadn't seen and so you have to wait for a few days before the sacrifice so you know it's a spotless, blameless lamb. And you know Jesus, this is in his only trip into Jerusalem, from Palm Sunday into Tuesday, he goes several times into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple, into his father's house And the religious leaders pepper him with questions and they try him and they try to trick him and trip him up and Jesus is faultless. He answers every question. No fault can be found in him. Pilate even says that. I find no fault in this man. Why? Because he's a proven lamb. This is how Peter describes the lamb of Jesus. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Look at this last phrase, a lamb without blemish or defect, a proven lamb. So he's the proven lamb. So his families have their lamb in the house and they're watching over to make sure it has no defect internally or externally. Jesus is being tested and proven and poked and prodded to see if he is the proven lamb and he passes the test. He's the lamb without blemish or spot. He's the perfect lamb for us. But not only a chosen lamb or a proven lamb, but a given lamb, a given lamb. So on the 14th day of the first month, four days after the choosing, a shofar, that big trumpet, or many of them would blow in Jerusalem, and the doors of the inner sanctuary of the temple, not the Holy of Holies, but into the place where the lambs would be sacrificed, that door would open and all the families that were ready with their chosen and proven lamb went in through those doors to have their lambs sacrificed. And within moments, that spotless courtyard in the temple ran red with the blood of the sacrificed lambs. And not very far away, likely within hearing distance of what was happening in the temple to the physical lambs, Our Passover lamb is dying on the cross for us. His blood shed on the cross for us. He's the given lamb. God says it in John 3.16. Look at this. For God so loved the world, you know this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the given lamb. Why? The rest of the verse tells us that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is going through Jerusalem with the mission of redemption on his mind. When he stretches his arm out on the cross like this, on the cross beam, it's like he's saying, on my mission of redemption, all are included. And that means you today. That's you today. So I want us to take a few moments and We're gonna sing about the lamb over you. But this is a moment for those of you who have not yet put your faith in Christ to just pray a simple prayer and ask Jesus to save you. You don't need a prayer on the screens. You just say, Jesus, would you save me, forgive me, wash me clean, make me new. Let Palm Sunday 2022 be the day you start your new life in Christ. Sins forgiven, a new person. Take these few moments as 
you are sung over in a beautiful way to place your faith in Christ. Will you? It'd be the best decision you will ever make and then I'll come back and close the service. I saw
trusted in Christ this morning for the very first time, we'd love to walk with you and answer any questions that you have. You can email us at pastorsofbentry.org. If you prayed a prayer of surrender and you're a brother or sister in Christ online or in the room, we want to walk with you too. I'd love to answer your questions and share with you what Jesus has been doing in my life. So I'll get it at Pastors at Bentry too. If you want to email me, that'd be awesome. We'd love the chance to walk with you, help you grow in Christ, either direction. Today is the door to Passion Week, to Holy Week. Palm Sunday is that door. And at Bentry, we offer Journey to the Cross. There's 24-7 prayer. There are so many things to be involved in to enrich and deepen your grasp and understanding of the beautiful life of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. But would you stand? And um, I want to read a benediction over you. When you stand, would you just cup your hands wherever you are? I know online, this is so weird when we do it in the room, but just try it anyway. (laughs) Just cup your hands like this. So you're receiving this benediction. Let me read it to you. Oh Christ, our God, When you raised Lazarus from the dead, before your passion, you confirmed the resurrection. Therefore, we, your children, carry your banner of triumph and victory. And we cry to you, O conqueror of love, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And will you add your amen to that benediction? Amen. May this be the most powerful, memorable, meaningful, holy week that you have ever experienced. We pray it so, we love you, and we will see you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever. All right, and see you back here on Easter. We love you. God bless.